either this week or next week will be the last week of the series we're in. I don't know if you realize it, but we're like 16 weeks into this series. Uh, I'm like, wow, we just keep going. It's called What About Me? And like I said last week, that's not a narcissistic thing. We're not all about us. The, the, the series is in response to a lot of the gospel that we've been going through. We did a series called The Gospel, and we did a series called The Redeemer, painting, a, I think, a really good picture of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he has done. And then you read you know, Paul's letters and, and Peter and, and James and these, these letters that these apostles wrote to us, and you realize, man, there are some pretty significant responses to the gospel that we need to know. If we're born-again believers, if we're Christians, then there is a a way that we respond to the Lord and what He's done in our lives. And that's what the question is. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you've done. I have believed in your name. Now what? What about me? What's my responsibility? And so every week we ask the question, what about me? And I answer the question with a word, usually one word, sometimes two. This week I would answer that question, what about me? What about you? With this word. Hope. Hope. Hope is something that has really been on my heart for the last few weeks because of the stories that I hear from the people that are around me. Stories um, of people that are hurting and that are needy. Stories that are tough. Stories that are sad. There's a lot of people um, that I'm friends with that aren't even, that never step into this building, some of you in this building, some of our friends, some of your friends, stories from your realm of influence that I hear, and you realize that people are hurting and they're needy. People that are struggling with their finances, with their families, marriages that are going crazy. Men and women that struggle with pornography. People that are dealing with alcohol issues. People that have a struggle just getting the roots of bitterness, like we we talked about a couple weeks ago, out of their life. It's very difficult. People that are struggling just to keep their head above the water. There's people that feel like, literally, they, they sit down and they just think, man, can I just catch a break? And some of you in this room may be feeling like that. Maybe you've even said that, if I could just catch a break here. If I can just get a break. You know? You want to roll the dice, you want to do something, whatever you can do to catch a break. I think the ironic thing is that we think that we have a very good grasp on hope. (laughs) But we don't. We think that we've heard enough sermons and that we need to move on from such elementary things as hope. But we can't. Somewhere in our mind, we've convinced ourselves that we are experts on hope. But we're not. I mean, how, how could we be? There's nothing in our culture that, that presents the opportunity for us to become experts in hope. Think about it. Think about James 5. I have it written there. You don't have to turn there. But if you want to write it down for a reference, you can. In James 5, Paul says, We exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in, check it out, we exult in, just talking to the believers, the Apostle Paul, we exult in tribulations, 
knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance and that perseverance will bring about proven character and that proven character will bring about hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So where... Where do we see, in our culture, where do we see anyone telling us to exult in, in tribulations? Oh, you're going through it, man. Yes, exult in that. Praise God. To exult in, in, in perseverance. Just push through, man. Don't look for the easy way out. Just push through. You can do this. Are you kidding? We live in easy way out city. Easy, easy way outville. Where in our culture is, is proven character praised? <laughs> you know? And it's heading that way. And we see glimpses of it because some of us are still old school. But at the end of the day, you look at the culture, the society, the atmosphere, and proven character, good, godly, proven character, it's not praised. If, I guess if you're really honest, you'd say that our culture, more than anything else, promotes comfort. Sole purpose is to bring about comfort to all the people of our society. Think about it. You broke? Here's a credit card. We'll give you this loan. I was driving the other day by a, um, a pawn shop that had a sign out that said payday loans. Now, lest I offend anybody, I don't know what a payday loan is. So I'm, I'm I don't know. But I read that. I was like, huh? You know, like, I could use one of those. I don't know what it is. But it's one, at least one of two things. I was thinking I was driving. I was like, what is that? What are they trying to figure that out? It's e- at least it's one of two things. It is either someone ain't doing nothing but they need some money. I'm going to go get me a payday loan. <laughs> I don't have to do any work, but I can go get me some loans. But I thought that can't be right. No, we haven't, we're not that depraved yet. Are we? <laughs> I don't know. The other thing is, at the very least, is sometimes it can be difficult to stretch your finances from one paycheck to another. I've experienced that. And so, well, what you can do is go get you a loan that will hold you off until payday. Now, I, I, can, I can understand that. You know what I mean? Except that that being done over and over and over perpetuates the problem. I'm not learning how to make my paycheck stretch from one month to the next. I, I think the, the, the uh, idea of stewardship in the Bible is one of the greatest things that you see stewardship, like we talked about last week, faithful in the little, be entrusted with much. Faithful in the, I'm going to get my payday loan, yet I have all the minutes I could ever use and that my whole neighborhood could ever use in texting and my phone. I have internet on my phone, which I don't need. I have, you know, whatever. I mean, list the list. It's like, really? How about you take your plan from here to here and save yourself about $495? You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Comfort, whatever we have to do. 
I mean, there's all kinds of examples of that. Are you sick? Is something hurting your body? Let's take it out. <laughs> you know, you don't need your spleen, do you? <laughs> Let's just take it out. I mean, seriously, I, I've been going through some health issues with my, uh, I think with my gall, gallbladder and my, and my uh, uh, urinary tract system and, and some, just some different things for, I don't know, man, almost a year now. You know what I mean? And I've, I've done this. I've been put on this antibiotic and this antibiotic, and sometimes it'll clear it up, but it comes right back. And I just want to shout at the world. You know what I mean? And it's been crazy. I started going to a doctor that tells me to do this. I'm like, are you for real? You want me to drink what? How many times a day? For how long? You have got to be kidding me. You know what I mean? At this point, if anybody even mentions the certain drinks that I have to drink, I just go. You know what I mean? I can't eat lemons anymore. I can't. Smell a lemon, it's like. And it's a long process, but you know what the doctor told me it would be? It's like, this could take six months because of how terrible you've eaten, et cetera, et cetera. He literally said, man, you got dirty kidneys. It's like, I guess that's better than a dirty mind. You know what I mean? But, and so there's something in that. At the other end of that, I'm not going to just take this antibiotic, and I'm not against antibiotics. They, they really do work, and they really can clear up some stuff. But some of the stuff I'm dealing with, it is simply masking the uh, uh, symptoms. It's not really curing it. To really cure it, I got to go through some rigmarole. That's East Texas for something that, you know. Are you sad? Oh, here, take this. That's better. I mean, think of the stuff. We're not allowed to work through things. We're not allowed. I was thinking about the, the school systems. I, I forget who it was. Maybe Sean and I, we were talking staff meeting about the disciplinary issues at school. And how, you know, when I was at school, it was like, line up, all of you. Whack! Well, beat you. I had a coach one time. I cannot tell you a story. This is going to be a long sermon. I can already tell. I had a coach one time. We were talking about this the other day because there's a, there's, a, um, there's a Facebook thing right now going on. You know you from Lindau if. It literally says it that way. You know you from Lindau if. And one of the guys that I went to school with, his name is John. He said, you know you from Lindau if you were ever in the middle of football practice and Coach Lackey took you out with one punch. I'm like, I was there. I saw it. He had a bad attitude, a little John Draper. He had full pads on, and Coach Lackey's this little stub of a, I don't even know what you call it. He's like, almost like a, I don't know, like a root, you know, like a tree stub. You know what I mean? You run into it, and you just die, you know. So one time, he was, he was out, and we were on the football field. John Draper had an attitude about running lines or wanting to break or I don't know, and he was just cussing up a storm and, and uh, all this stuff, and Coach Lackey was like, Draper, get over here. Put your helmet on and get on all fours. Draper's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Did I say his last name? I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. (laughs) He's a very good guy now. I mean, life really just... Sorry, Draper. Anyway, well, he told the story on Facebook, so it must be public. You know, anyway, so John lines up, and finally he's like, he lines up, and Coach says, hit! And, oh, that was loud. Sorry. And all of a sudden, Coach was like, and just went, right up under John Draper's face mask. And John just went, whoo, <laughs> boom, on his back, kind of lay there. <laughs> Picked up his helmet, walked off, quit football, never came back. But he, it's funny because he laughs at it now. Years later, he's like, man, I probably needed that. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that completely. 
And if you've ever done it, you could sue, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My point is, is that you guys, our culture will do anything and everything. You know, our school systems have these little 21-step disciplinary programs. You know, and it starts with a look. Johnny does something wrong and you go, Are you kidding? You do that in my house, and my kids will look at you like, and they'll go over there, and they'll get the paddle, and they'll bring it to you. You know what I mean? You, that ain't going to work. You need this. But that's exactly what it is. It's crazy. Difficulties, trials, setbacks, calamities, ailments. All of these things are meant to help us Learn how to hope. I hope you can hear me this morning. They're meant to help us to learn how to hope. But because we follow the world so closely, so intensely, because we follow the natural, we are not learning how to hope. Are you hearing me this morning? We are not learning how to hope. And the hope that does not disappoint that he's talking about, is not even a natural hope. It's a supernatural hope because it comes from the love of God who is poured out, poured it out through, our, uh, through the Lord, the Holy Spirit, within our hearts. It's a supernatural hope. So we're not even talking about the natural kind of hope. We're certainly not able to hope in the natural, like, I can get through this, I can push through, it's going to be all right. We can't even dive into the supernatural hope. And it's crazy and it's killing us. Would you guys mind if I shared something from Jeremiah 18? Because I think that people have made a bad habit of losing hope. I think people have made a bad habit out of losing hope. And I wanted to read something out of Jeremiah um, chapter 18. You can turn there. You don't have to. Of course, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. um, Most of the time for the people. In verse 5. Jeremiah 18, verse 5 says, Then the word of the Lord, I want you to listen really close. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, can I not deal with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, now listen to this, this is going to rock some theology for some people. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build it up or to plant it. If it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. So now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back, each of you, from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say, It's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Ask now among the nations, Who ever heard the likes of this? What are they talking about? It's crazy thinking. Who has ever heard of the like of this? The virgin of Israel has done a most appalling thing. Does the snow of Lebanon forsake the rock of the open country? Or is the cold flowing water from a foreign land ever snatched away? 
For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, and they have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths to walk in bypaths, not on a highway, to make their land a desolation, an object of perpetual hissing. Everyone who passed by it will be astonished and shake his head. Like, what? What are they doing? That's the prophet Jeremiah speaking towards the very thing. Oh, it's hopeless. Are you kidding me? He says, I'm the potter. You are the clay. I would like to shape you into something according to my design. Man says, oh, oh. It's hopeless. We're going to go do our own thing. We're going to follow our own plans. We're going to act according to the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. And then God says, we read it. God says, my people have forgotten me. Are y'all listening? My people have forgotten me. They worship worthless things. They stumble over themselves. They make their lives the object of perpetual hissing. What if we got that title on our epitaph? We've been talking about our epitaph. He made his life the object of perpetual hissing. But that's what he says. Everyone who passes by are astonished and shake their heads. (laughs) Hopeless? Are you kidding me? And this is the outcome of a people who once put their hope in God, just like us. Are you hearing me? There's a reason Jeremiah was included. Yes, he's writing to the people of Israel and all that stuff. But this is prophetic words that obviously apply to us today. What happened? In Jeremiah's day, God had to address Israel like this. The people of God this way. What happened? I think Proverbs 13, 12 I think definitely plays a little bit. We, we know this one. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick or grow faint, some of your versions say. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And if you look at the words, it says hope, which means expectation. Deferred, which means a dragging out or a delaying. So an expectation that is dragged out or delayed makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled, well, now that's a tree of life. Getting what I want, now that makes me feel alive. Amen? Expectations delayed makes me sick. Getting what I want makes me feel alive. That's the age we live in, doesn't it? And I call this, I call things like this worldly warnings, and Solomon gave lots of them because he gave us a lot of wisdom on how to govern our lives, like another one in Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 18 says this, and I want you to write this down. This is a great scripture. This is for you today. It says, surely there is a future. Surely there is a future. And your hope will not be cut off. This is a different word for hope. It doesn't mean quite the same thing. It means foundation of hope. It actually means like a cord, you know, like an umbilical cord. Think about that for a second. Surely there is a future. And your, the umbilical cord of hope in your life has not been cut off. The source of hope in your life has not been cut off. So surely there is a future. In other words, a reason to hope. Are you following me this morning? We're being built up and, and encouraged this morning. I hope you're, you're hearing this. I read this and I was like, ah, oh, sweet. Hope is believing that the future holds something better. You can write that down. Hope is believing that the future holds something better. It's a, it's a simple, basic, elementary uh, version. But that is a great definition. Hope is 
is simply believing that the future holds something better. Surely there is a future. And the umbilical cord that has attached you to hope has not been cut off. Amen? Amen? Now I want to show you the life of someone who lived with that mindset, who made a habit out of hoping. Turn to uh, Acts 26. Acts chapter 26. This is some good stuff about the Apostle Paul. There's a lot of stuff going on really from, uh, well, the whole thing, obviously. But from chapter 21 all the way through 26, there's just some really good stuff with Paul's life. A lot of character, a lot of proven character, and a lot of inspiration for us as believers in that. In fact, it starts with this. If you look back, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But if you look back at chapter 21, verse 27, this is when Paul gets seized in the temple. The Apostle Paul, whose name used to be Saul, was seized. They seized him in the temple, and here's why. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowds and laid hands on him. That means they seized him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people, one, and against the law, two, and this place, three, the temple, And besides that, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul. And so they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now then, all the city was provoked and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And from there, you have this series of defenses that Paul has to make. He makes a defense to the Jews. Then he makes a defense to the council over in chapter 23. Uh, then they take him into Caesarea because they can't, they can't figure out what's going on here. Paul is preaching about Jesus. He's preaching about the resurrection from the dead. He's teaching all these things that there's a lot of people in that sect that weren't agreeing with, that Jesus was the Messiah, so forth and so on. So they, but, they, but he's the Jewish too, and he used to be a, a Pharisee. It's like, what's going on? They couldn't make sense of it. Then they take him before Felix. Then they take him before Festus. And none of these Roman guys, none of these guys could, could figure out what to do. They just didn't understand the, the stuff. And then, then you see him in over, uh, towards the end of chapter 25 and the first of 26, they bring him before Agrippa. They bring him before Agrippa. Let me uh, read here. Verse 26. Agrippa said, chapter 26, I'm sorry, verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make a defense. I wonder what that looked like. Was was he dramatic? You know, he stretched out his hand. Was he like, you know, you know how they do, oh, whatever. Anyway, Romeo over me. Um, In regard to all the things, this is Paul. Verse 2, in regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today. Remember that. Especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, I have a few things I want to share, but before we do, we need to understand a couple of things about this meeting. First of all, Agrippa, who he's about to make his appeal to, he's... he's Three crazy things. One, he is the great-grandfather of the guy who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. He's the grandfather. I'm sorry. His great-grandfather had tried to kill um, Jesus when he was a baby. His grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded. And his father is the one who killed the first martyr, James. 
or the first apostle martyr. You guys tracking with me? So you think of this encounter, and this was a man whose family history did not seem very promising as someone who would receive anything Paul's going to say, right? Great-granddad tried to kill Jesus. Granddad uh, killed John the Baptist. His own father is the one that killed the Apostle James. Agrippa. Uh. Yet Paul says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you. And there's two things that would, I would say at least two things, that would make him say, I'm happy about this meeting today. One is, and you can kind of see it back in verse um, 26, just a few sentences before, in chapter 25, verse 26, they took him before him and said, we have brought him before you. We brought Paul before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa. See, there's something special going on about this meeting. This is a God thing. He brought him before Agrippa. And I'm going to read this little commentary real quick. Agrippa was a king, was king of Trachonitis. Trachonitis. Sounds like a disease. He's the king of Trachonitis. Whew, get away. You know. Anyway, Agrippa was king of Trachonitis, a region which lay on the north of Palestine, on the east side of Jordan, and south of Damascus. He was a scholar and was very much versed in the Jewish learning. He was an expert in the customs of the Jewish religion and knew the nature of them and that they were not designed to be either universal or perpetual. He was an expert also in the questions that arose upon these customs and in determining which of the Jews themselves were not all of one mind. Agrippa was very well versed in the scriptures of the Old Testament and therefore could make a better judgment upon the controversy between Paul and the Jews concerning Jesus being the Messiah. A much better judge than a Roman magistrate who had little acquaintance with the opinions and customs of the Jews. And they were um, Roman magistrates who were not disposed to listening. They, in other words, they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to hear this junk. So it's just like blah, 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 coming out the other ear. And the whole conversation, the whole controversy was held in contempt by those guys. But yet here Paul makes his way to Agrippa, who understood all of it. That's pretty cool, don't you think? And Paul's just like, whew, there is hope. Sweet. I think the other thing is Paul literally was living out a specific fulfillment of a prophecy that was given to him, promised to him by the Lord at his conversion. If you go back to Acts 9, it says, Go, for he, talking about Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the Jewish people, the children of Israel. Remember what I said. Hope is believing that the future holds something better. Paul is literally like walking out what was spoke over him. He's literally before kings. So what I wanted to do, just really quick, with the time that we have left, this is very simple, and I want you to write these things down. But we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Chapter 26, 4 through 8. And this is what Paul says in his defense, at least the way he starts it out. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. In other words, these people know me. They're my own people. I am Jewish. I used to be a Pharisee. I used to lead stuff for them. These people know who I am. I'm, I'm a reputable guy. And he studied under the most, one of the most reputable Pharisees. 
These people know me. Then he says, And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise, you guys, you still with me? The promise, where am I up? The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God day and night. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible or difficult to understand among you people if God does raise the dead? Because that was one of the big issues. You know what I mean? So when he talks about uh, this hope of the promise, that was a big issue. That was a thing. The resurrection, that was a huge deal. Granted, he's, you know, some scholars think oh, he's talking about Jesus when he says hope. Some think he's just talking about resurrection from the dead. But aren't they one and the same? Jesus Christ is the resurrection from the dead. He rose and we will rise because of Jesus. So there's no really discrepancy, is there? Okay, now what I want to do is I want to back up to verse 4. And I want to show you something. Because I, I was reading that this week and hope was on my heart. And I felt like there is a... Um, um, there is a, an ability that we can have to develop a habit of hope. In other words, hope just comes, remains, and flows out of our life. Okay? Everybody say, habit of hope. Come on, one more time. Habit of hope, because that's what we're about to develop. Some of us have bad habits. Some of us need some better habits. We're about to get a really good godly habit, a habit of hope. And it's found right here in the life of someone who is going through a difficulty, who is on trial. He's literally on trial here. And I was thinking about this this week. You know what? We are on trial. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have many trials and tribulations. I'm with you through them all, but you will have them. And I thought, you know what? We are on trial, I think, by the world. The world looks at us and says, ugh, ugh. They hold Christians, Christ followers, in disdain. We are on trial by the world. We are being accused by the world, by the enemy who is the accuser. And what it produces in us is a fear. And we just back off. There's no hope. Can't get hope in there. I don't have enough room because there's so much fear because of the trials and because of the, the uh, this disdain of the world and because of the accusations that come against me. And so I just kind of go with the flow here. Whatever happens, oh, oh it's just going to happen. God's going to do what he's going to do. That's not what it said in Jeremiah. God said, Seek me, diligently seek me, and you will find reward, essentially. Amen? And so you look at Paul, who's just like us, on trial, on trial, and look what he says. Now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise. First thing I want you to write down, the first thing to develop a habit of hope is to get hope. (laughs) As in a noun. Jesus is the hope. We sang about it this, me, this morning. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Colossians 1. To whom God willed to make known that which is the riches of his glory is mystery among, a mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, it's a noun. We've got to depend on, call on, believe in, receive the grace of Our hope, the hope, Christ. Without Christ as the central piece, the top notch of that, it's all for naught. It's done. It's over with. You hearing me? Christ. If you're not clinging to Christ, you have no hope. If you don't look to his word and his life and his instruction and his modeling, it's done. A perpetual state of misery 
Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's in Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. You know what that is? That's developing a habit. Check it out. Listen. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Another way to say that, develop a habit of hope. Amen? Develop a, let us hold fast to Jesus. Everything else that we need is going to flow out of that. Amen? So hope, and the next thing, look what he says. The promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. Now he kind of switches in from, from noun to verb mode. He's talking about the action of hope. The action of hoping. We can develop a habit of hope. Hope. Hoping is the next one. Cling to Christ and start to hope. Let there be hoping in your life. There's a couple of scriptures here. Romans 8.23, and this is a long one, but I'm going to read it. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Listen to that phraseology, you guys. We groan within ourselves. Ugh! waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. If we persevere, we wait eagerly for it. Another way of saying that is we develop a habit of hope. What do they say? You do something for 21 days or however long it is, it becomes a habit. You'd, you'd kind of say you'd have to persevere to do that. Right? You develop a habit of hope. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul's writing to one of his greatest disciples, Timothy, and he says this. I love the way it starts out. In the future, right? There is Laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing, or longed for his appearing, or hoped for his appearing. All those who hope for his... You know what that's another way of saying? Those who have developed a habit of hope. Are you with me this morning? clinging to the hope and letting that hope produce hope within us. Hope, hoping, and the last thing is this, accounting for hope. That's what Paul's doing right here. Look what he says. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. He's on trial and you look and he goes on to give his testimony, to lay it out. Jesus visited me. He knocked me off my horse with his great light. I went on to do this. I went on to that. He changed my name from Saul to Paul. I'm doing this. And he gives a great story of his life. And it's exactly what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, sanctify the hope, the hope in your hearts, Christ Jesus, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope. Hope, hoping, and accounting for hope. Say it. One more time. 
And listen, I'm going to be bold here. I don't know that I could prove it with one particular verse, but taking the Bible in context, I don't know that you truly have hope or can secure hope or will walk in hope or will develop a habit of hope and become someone like Paul if you don't give account for the hope that's in you. If you're never giving an account of the hope that is in you, I believe there's an ingredient missing in developing a habit of hope. People that are hopeless people, they don't give an account of the hope. They never did. And so they went from hoping in Christ and all that to waning back to where the people were. It's hopeless. Are you kidding me? God saved you. Yeah, but it's hopeless. Somewhere down the line, they did not learn to give an account for the hope that's within them. Let me let that be a warning from God's word. I really believe this. If you are not given an account for the hope that is in you on some level, I believe that you will become a hopeless person. It is that important to pour out our faith for the gospel to be on our lips. You understand what I'm saying? Now back to, to why we're, we're talking about this to begin with. Many people are going through hopeless Seemingly hopeless, according to the world's standards or, situ- or whatever, situations. Situations that are, that are making them weary. You know, Melissa and I were talking the other night. I'm just so weary with these goofy little things, you know, that's, that was going on in my body. I'm still pushing through. I'm still going to try to do it, but I'm just weary of it, literally. You know, it just makes me want to just go out and just, you know, buy everything on McDonald's menus and just say, Who cares? You know? And some of you guys are going through things and you're just like, I'm done. It's hopeless. I'm done. Maybe with your marriage. Maybe with your finances. Maybe with whatever. You've been trying to get through this struggle. You've been trying to do that. And you're like, this is too hard. It's done. Yeah. And at the other end of you persevering, developing a habit of hope, God is going to have proven character in you. And you're going to be able to handle even more than that. Not only for yourself, but for others. There's nothing like overcoming the enemy than the word of our testimony combined with the blood of the Lamb. You've got to push through. You've got to have hope that it can do this. You guys remember Christopher Reeves? Superman? You guys know what I'm talking about? Christopher Reeves? Not Star Wars. Uh, How does it go? Um, Whatever. Remember Christopher Reeves? Superman, you guys. Superman. Up, up, and away. You know what I mean? Superman. Clark Kent. He made the jump, you know, from Krypton to Earth. And he's now super. Clark Kent, you guys. Superman. Christopher Reeves. You guys probably know the story. At some point in his life, after all the movies, he had a tragic horse accident. Fell off the horse and became a paraplegic. You see him now. Is he even alive anymore? He died, didn't he? <laughs> I don't, I'm not laughing at that. I just forgot. But he's literally driving these things and walking with his breath. I mean, it's just horrible. I can't even remember all this stuff, but I thought about him. And there's a quote that I remember reading years ago, and I looked for it whenever he went through that. And it was so inspiring, but his quote was very simple. Once you choose hope, anything's possible. This is from Superman, who became not much of a man physically, but every bit of a man spiritually and emotionally. Now, I don't know if he knew the Lord, but he at least had some sense of natural hope. What more then for us who know the supernatural hope? Amen? Amen? 
I mean, come on, the world says, give up, give up, give up. But hope whispers, try it one more time. Try it one more time. And I want to end with this this morning. I want you to write this down. It's simple. Grab hold of hope and hang on. Grab hold of hope and hang on. Would you stand with me?